Welcome to the 32nd episode of the Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. We got a really special show for you guys tonight. We actually are going to have an interview that's going to take up about 99% of the content you're hearing. We have it with the lovely Christopher Smith of Mass Live. But before then, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit of Red Sox and introduce my other lovely co-host, uh, Dave Latham. Dave, say hi to the people. How's it going, everyone? And uh, just so we get it, uh, Chris's tw- Twitter handle is at Schmitty at MLB. He's a fantastic follow, one of the best writers on the beat. Yeah, I was just actually going to Google his Twitter handle. So thank you for that, Dave, because I was scrambling. Uh, and we also have joining us our other lovely host, uh, Chris Terzine. Going to segue here into Red Sox topics real quick before we get to this exquisite interview with Christopher Smith. He's going to cover um, he's going to cover a lot of prospect coverage. He's going to talk about the rumor mill for the Boston Red Sox and a little bit of information about his career breaking into the industry. So you definitely want to not stop listening right now. You have to like suffer through us talking about nonsense for a couple minutes and then get to the good stuff. But uh, there has been rumors that the Red Sox are interested in both Dave Kid Robinson and Zach Britton, both of whom are obviously high-ticket relievers in the free agent class. Um, I know, Dave, you put a Twitter poll on the at Bosox and Filtered uh, account asking if Red Sox fans would be interested in either of them. You want to briefly go through those results and, and tell me what you actually think about this pursuit and if, the Red, if this makes sense for Boston? Yeah, so um, I forget. I don't have the poll in front of me, but I know the majority voted for um, interested in just Robertson, I believe. And then it was Robertson and Britain, then neither, then just Britain. So I guess Zach Britton is probably feeling a little heartbroken right now, but I want him to know it's okay, buddy. We, like 9% of you, 9% of the voters love you. But, um, no, I'm, I've already been on record multiple times of saying that Dave Robertson is up near the top of my, uh, Red Sox free agency wish list. Uh, of all these, obviously my number one, but I'd really love to bring Robertson in. I think he's going to be, you know, considerably cheaper than Kimbrell and offer not not sim- not the same production, but close enough for production that it's definitely worth it. And Britain, I really like as a bounce back candidate. I think now that he's had a whole off season to get healthy. Last year, he he was good, but he wasn't Zach Britton. I think he still has that really good pitcher in him somewhere. I just think that last year coming off, uh, I think it was an Achilles injury, he never really had time to round into form. And I think he's going to be available fairly cheap. So I think he's similar to Andrew Miller in that vein. I think they're good by low candidates. Um, so I'd definitely be interested in bringing one or both aboard, obviously depending on money. Yeah, and, you know, the Red Sox are probably – most interested in, in beefing up the bullpen of any other position besides Nathan Navoldi's inevitable acquisition, hopefully. That's not inevitable. I don't know why I said it's inevitable. In my heart, it's inevitable. I, I I remember probably around the trade deadline last, I mean, this, this past season, um, the Red Sox were heavily connected in, in trade pursuit for Zach Britton. Obviously, the Yankees got him, and the Red Sox still won the World Series, so who cares? But the Red Sox almost traded for him, and there was a there was a rumor that it was for Michael Chavez. That would have been absolutely awful because Zach Britton was coming. He's obviously been plagued with injuries, but his splitter has lost a lot of its effectiveness. Obviously, he's kind of a uh, one not a one pitch pitcher, 
or sinker, sorry. He's not a one pitch pinker, uh, pitcher, but it definitely is really skewed towards, towards that heavy usage. So I am not as inclined, I, I'm not as high on Zach Britton, especially because his peripheral has taken a huge hit and he's lost velocity on his pitches. So I think, uh, the age and the injuries are starting to wear down on him. David Robertson had a down year, but for some reason I still have confidence. His, his underlying numbers don't look like they've taken a huge dip. Um, so I would be interested, obviously, in both because they both are five-ish to low candidates who will probably probably give you the bullpen insurance needed uh, if Craig Campbell doesn't come back, which uh, I think signs are pointing that that won't be the case because he's demanding a six-year contract. Um, but, yeah, so. so. I just I just pulled it up. I don't like his whip. Just out of all the stats, I don't whip? like that. I just happen to be looking at whip, but like whip. So the the thing that bothered me the most about the Red Sox bullpen was the fact that they gave up walks and hits all the time, and adding in another guy that gives us walks and hits all the time, that that would just add to my anger. I just happen to look at care. whip. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, see, the thing about whip for me is it's skewed because it equates a single at the same amount as a home run or a double the same amount as a home oh, run. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. definitely. That, but, uh, with it. I mean, his fit isn't really wonderful. Are you talking about Robertson? No, Britain. Were oh, we talking okay. about Robertson? This is, this is, this is a, a nightmare. What are we doing here? <laughs> In my mind, we were talking about Robertson. But, yeah, uh, but, but, but my whip conversation stands. My stance on whip. Well, yeah, that would change. I, I get you. I feel you, though. I feel you. I'm there with you. I understand uh-huh. that. Cool. But but Thank it's like any stat. Important. All stats are all stats need to be used in context of other stats to make an argument. Some are stronger than others. Actually, some are a lot yeah. stronger than others. In my mind, yes. it's looking at the right stats, and I don't think whip is a part of a, a big part of the puzzle, or even a small part. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, David Robertson, 297 fifth. You want to talk about a good fifth? That's that's a good one. And a 323. How about, right how, about a, how about base, uh, uh, base on balls per nine innings? Do you like that base stat? On, well, oh, walks per nine, yeah. I mean, that goes into fifth. Walks per nine, yeah, sorry. I just I yeah. said base on balls because I had BB9 in front of me. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what it translates to. So, I mean, they're synonymous with each other. And yeah, I, I, I'm his walk rate was up comparative to last year, but over his career it was below his career average. So David Robertson still looks like a real good pitcher. We we just alluded to Craig Kimbrell with the six year um I think it was a six he wants six years at minimum. Uh, that's his initial asking price. Uh Dave, do you think that's what he's ultimately gonna get? Um he sure shouldn't. I'm not investing six years in a over 30 reliever whose pitch is a fastball and like relies entirely on velocity when that's almost certainly going to dip in the next two to three years. So, um, I mean, it's baseball. So, you know, teams like to go crazy in free agency, especially with hard throwing relievers and teams that really like to just follow a trend. And the trend is hard throwing relievers get it done. So there's probably going to be some team that doesn't think very hard and just, you know, sees, well, Kimbrell throw ball hard. He has good numbers. Let's give him whatever it takes to get him here because, you know, we need a big splash in free agency to power us to the future and just basically go 2015 Red Sox with it, and it's going to blow up in their face. 
Yeah, I think we've all kind of stuck to this anti-Kimbrell stance for much of the season. Uh, Chris, do you have anything to add to the Craig Kimbrell conversation? No, I just think it's interesting that the reliever market's been kind of on hold right now. Uh, all the reports you're hearing are about, like, the starters and everything, but not relievers. Last year, I think relievers were the first to go, weren't they? They were the yeah. first to go. They were the only. They were basically actually, like, the only thing that. Yeah, went. they were the only thing to go for like, yeah. a reasonable asking price. But I, I don't know if that's really reflective of what's going to happen because obviously Bryce Harper made him better a lot more. So weird. Well, I, it's I probably it's probably because this year they have to like Kimbrel. I assume sets the market, so I think they pretty much have to wait for Kimbrel. And it's kind of like Harper and Machado also set the market, so you're kind of waiting for them too, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think there's, there's now like a, a more clarification of, of the roles. Like, there's a difference. There's obviously like this divergence between what what kind of valuable relievers. I mean, there's obviously the people who still are kind of glorified as a ninth inning man, as a Craig Kimbrell is. But there are other guys like, like David Robertson and Zach Britton, for example, who could be multi-inning arms. Even Andrew Miller, who's not necessarily like going to be that ninth inning guy. And I wonder if they are extricable from each other at this point. If you can separate the market for multi-inning guys, non-closer, traditional guys, I wonder if that market will separate. But I, I don't know. That's that's time. Time will ultimately tell that one. Um, the only other news before we we get to this amazing interview is uh, the Red Sox. Uh, in terms of the White, they will be visiting the White House. We won't talk much about that. And Alex Cora will attend. And you can read more about that on RedSoxandFilter.com. Danny posted an article. Danny of Red Sox Filter writer posted an article about that. But yeah, that's 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 it for this introduction. The, the usual banter that takes up ninety nine hundred percent of our episodes. So uh, you'll miss our voices, uh, but you will hear Chris. Well, you'll still hear our voices, but Christopher Smith's voice will be will be paramount here. So yeah, follow him on at is it at Smitty on at Smitty at MLB. At Smitty on MLB on Twitter. He's a great follow, as Dave illuminated earlier. But, yeah, thanks for listening to this intro, and let's get to the interview. So we are here with Mass Live's Christopher Smith. Chris, thank you for joining us today, and, and welcome to the uh, 32nd episode of the Red Sox and Filters podcast. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so... As we said, we have Christopher Smith on the show, and we're going to be asking questions to him. He's obviously one of the best beat reporters the Red Sox have. Um, we'll just get into this thing to start. I want to get a little peripheral information about you. I want to see, to start, how did you break into the baseball reporting industry, and are there any baseball writers you try to emulate your craft after? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, basically I, I grew up – you know, my favorite sport growing up was baseball. I did play high school football, but, you know, growing up, baseball was my main thing. You know, watching it, I mean, I was, I always call myself a 162 guy. You know, I, I watched 162 games a year, or at least tried to as a kid. Um, you know, it was funny, like, I'd go to family parties as an 11 or 12-year-old and Steal, steal the keys to my father's car, and you know I'd be sitting in the car listening to the Red Sox game, and you know, and you know everybody would be wondering where I was. So, uh, you know, I, I would always, I always, um, you know, follow the Red Sox 
very passionate growing up about following baseball and the Red Sox. And I went to, um, I got my master's in newspaper magazine and online journalism from Syracuse University. And uh, from there, you know, I mean, journalism is a tough thing. I mean, you just kind of take whatever job you can get. I mean, it, when you're 12 or 13 or 14, you know, I remember it was funny. I My mother um, gave me a journal uh, uh autobiography that I wrote of myself in the fourth grade that said I want to be a Red Sox writer someday, a Red Sox reporter. You know, at that age, you think, you know, you're only going to do baseball. And maybe even, you know, in high school, I thought, well, baseball is the thing I'm going to do and that's it. But, you know, I learned quickly, you know, out of college that there's not many jobs and you've got to take what you can get. And so um, I ended up going to Missouri uh, right out of the right out of college and the high school reporter down there for a couple of years and you know covered 21 high schools and you know did, did basically it was just me on the high school beat you know it was me planning everything me doing everything me writing about everything and, and uh, that really helped me um, you know become a better reporter and uh, you know I came back here without a job I, I kind of missed my family. And so I just kind of came back without a job, and I was lucky enough to uh, to find a job at the time at the Eagle Tribune, which is in North Andover. And uh, at that time, they were kind of looking. They, they the job was you know do anything, you know uh, you know some pro sports, high school stuff, whatever. But they were also looking, uh, you know uh, uh, their sport. Their Bill Burr, who was there, was becoming the sports editor. And he had done some Red Sox, so he was like, "If anybody wants to go to the Red Sox, go to the Red Sox." And uh, and I volunteered because, you know, as I said, I always wanted to to do baseball. And it was funny the first time I went to the Red Sox, I tell a lot of people a story and cut me off if I'm talking too much because <laughs> I tend to do that. But uh, no, I love the, the story. Time, so the first time I I went to the Red Sox was. Um, 2010 uh, opening day it was Easter. Uh, Josh Beckett against CC Sabathia, and I was, you know, really sick. I, I it was Easter. I it was an eight o'clock game, Sunday night baseball. I I threw up a couple times that day, and I was like, and I was in my bed like, you know, like I can't believe this is happening. You know, I really want to do this tonight, but I'm, I might have to call him sick. And I went anyway. It was like the worst experience because I was just I was like just sick the whole night and my stories were crappy you know everything was crappy and I was like I don't even think I want to go back I think I just want to do you know high school sports for the rest of my life after that and um, you know Bill said to me Bill Burt said to me you know go back do do something on Carlos Pena who's a you know a Haverhill guy you know he's from the area the Merrimack Valley he's coming in with Tampa Bay. Go go do, do go try to do a feature story on him. I did that a week later, or a week and a half later, whatever it was, and just kind of fell in love with it from there. And I was going in on days off, you know, to come to the Red Sox. And uh, you know, at that time, I had high school sports that I had to write. But you know, any any opportunity that I got, I went in there. So I was late to um, you know my rehearsal dinner for my wedding because. You know, I, I was, you know, doing pregame stuff 
you know, going in there and getting stories. <laughs> you know, I mean, any opportunity I could get, it didn't matter if I was getting paid uh, by the Eagle Tribune, you know, they paid me for 40 hours, well, I, I'd work an extra 40 hours, you know, uh, covering baseball in addition to what else they wanted me to do. And that led to the job at Mass Live, which has, you know, been awesome, and I've been, you know, allowed to travel and, you know, do that beat full-time. And uh, that's been great. But with, with you know, the Eagles should be in the Gimme Good opportunity, too. And, you know, I worked the 2013 World Series and everything. But, you know, now I'm just focused on the Red Sox. And, and it's been, you know, a great four years with Mass Live. Yeah. So that's the longer um, the answer for you. No, that was a that was a very exciting answer. I appreciate that. I mean, that's really, <laughs> that that was really good content. Um, like to, I'm gonna have a follow up question. To that like, I, I know you said you broke in the industry, obviously, but how did you manage to work a clubhouse? Like that first experience when you're told you've yeah. got to interview these professional athletes was was that nerve wracking? And like, as you've obviously been doing this for a while, has that subsided? Have you learned like tools to kind of get those interviews? Yeah, well, you know, at first, I mean, it's funny, um, you know, you you walk in, and I remember the first time that I walked in in 2010, and I basically been a high school, you know, beat reporter. I covered, you know, one professional game between, you know, St. Louis Rams and, um, you know, Seattle Seahawks at one point when I was in Missouri, but, you know, it wasn't anything where I was trying to get one-on-ones stuff like that, and I remember walking in in 2010, you know, the first thing I see is Josh Beckett, and, you know, in Missouri, I had watched him, and at that point, you know, I was watching the World Series and watching Josh Beckett dominate, and so that was, you know, like, whoa, you know, you're seeing these guys, but, um, you know, establishing yourself, you you know, you've kind of got to show up, you know, you know, show up there often and have them see you and, you know, talk to them. I think it's important that, you know, you, you know, relate to them in other ways than just baseball, try to figure out, you know, some things that they like other than just baseball. And it's important, you know, they have pregame, which is three, three and a half hours before the game. They open the clubhouse. Actually, it's four hours before the game since Alex Cora took over, they they opened the clubhouse at like three o'clock for a uh, for a seven o'clock game, and so you're there and you know you you know you talk you you try to talk to the players and, and you know it doesn't have to be an interview you know you 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 try to talk to the players and, and chat with them about a certain thing like if it's uh, you know Craig Kimbrell you know you you talk to him about Alabama football or if it's about you know, somebody else, uh, you know, Matt Barnes about UConn women's basketball doing something well. Um, you know, try to find or, you know, um, fly fishing with Rick Persillo. Different things uh, that people have interest in and, and that, um, you know, that will help you later on when you want to get a one-on-one story and, and um, you know, they'll open up to you longer and, and talk to you more. I think all the players on this team were really willing, and even with with reporters that just came in and you know worked, you know a few games with you know if, if it was an intern with the Boston Globe and wanted a one-on-one story, the, the players were very good this year, and you didn't have to be a well-known reporter in the clubhouse to get a story. 
Um, but, you know, it, it is intimidating at first in a way. Uh, you know, I remember in 2010, um, I, and I've told this story uh, before, but, you know, I mean, I was interviewing, I had asked Manny Dump Carmen for an interview, and Jonathan Pavelblom's locker was right near there. And I said to, to Manny Del Carmen, oh, you want to, you have a minute to talk about somebody, I forget who, it wasn't a story on him, it was a story about somebody else that needed some quotes from a few other players, and he's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we start talking and everything, and Jonathan Pavelblom, you know, he didn't know me, and, um, you know, it was like one of the first times he saw me, and, you know, immediately he, you know, he, he goes, uh, who's this big? Oh, you know, he goes, he said to, uh, Bill Carmen, he goes, he said, um, you can't do this interview, or he said to me, he goes, you can't interview him right now. He goes, uh, he's got to go out and throw with, with us. And I said, well, he, he just told me he can't, I can't interview him, so I'm going to. And so I, I continued to interview him, and, and Papelbon, right in the middle of the clubhouse, started yelling to, you know, all the players and all the boys, who's this hot shot reporter and everything, and trying to embarrass me in a way. And, uh, that's just the way that, you know, players do things. You know, I know Pap, um, Dustin Bajuri in a way was, um, you know, he, in a way he liked to, uh, you know, fool around with, with reporters. And I didn't know that as much, you know, when I first came in. And, uh, so he said a few things to me and it took me back. And, you know, now, you know, I, I talk to him and, you know, you chat with him and stuff and you talk to him, you ask him about his family and different things. And, you know, it's cool, but to remember about it back in the day, you know, he, he said something to you, but he used to do that with all the reporters. So, you know, you just kind of got to get to know them and know them um, not too personally and not get too close because, but to also, um, you know, get to know them on a, on a certain level too. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it sounds like you had to develop a pretty thick skin over the years um, to kind of come yeah. back from that. But I, I mean, that, that that's, that's really cool. It, it seems obviously rapport is a big thing. I didn't know Rick Purcell was into fly fishing, so that was a cool tidbit of information yeah. too. So. <laughs> he is. He is. Uh, he, he's a real fisherman. He. Um, it's funny. Like he. Yeah. He was on. Um, I wrote a story a couple years ago. He was. Uh, he was like fly fishing the, the week before um, he got the Cy Young or whatever. And uh, somebody said to him, "Oh, here's, here's the Cy Young Award winner or something like that." And he goes, ah, "I don't know about that yet." But yeah. So uh, he. Yeah. He's always been into that stuff. He's from New Jersey, and that's like his thing. It's funny because Jason Grimm, the prospect, is really into fishing, and I told him that he didn't know that Rick Priscilla was into that stuff, and um, he was like, "Oh, I'd love to go out on the boat with him." So I told Rick Priscilla, and I don't know if they've done it yet, but um, I know that the last offseason, Rick Priscilla and him hung out a little bit. So. Uh, doing Pilates and stuff, so maybe they did. So I don't know, but yeah. I try to I try to bring people together. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it sounds like that's your next story, to do a follow-up on if Groom and Purcell yeah, actually went fishing. Yeah, there you go. Exactly, right? So, Chris, obviously you have the opportunity to talk to just about, well, literally everyone in the Red Sox clubhouse, um, and I'd imagine there's a lot of different personalities in there. Is there anyone in particular, like, you try to go for, for, like, a more out-of-the-box, um, less generic answer to questions. Um, someone who sort of speaks their mind more than the others, because I feel like that would be one of the really uh, fun or interesting parts of the job is finding the right people to 
get certain answers for a particular story you're working on. Is there anything like that that you uh, ever focus on? Yeah, I think that um, two of the ones that are actually the most candid um, are Rick Corsillo. He'll give you, um, you know, his, his views on things. He's, he's obviously given his opinions on, you know, steroids and different things like that, um, candid, you know, opinions on that to different people. But, you know, he'll also give you, you know, I mean, he's not afraid to say things. Um, he wouldn't be a, a Belichick-type, um, you know, player. Um, but another one is, um, it's, it's surprising maybe to some people to hear this because of the relationship that he had with the media last year, but David Price, and I think that David Price has, has always been that kind of guy, except for last year when he didn't have a good relationship with the media, but, you know, through his years with Tampa Bay and, you know, Detroit, Toronto, and, you know, his first year in Boston and minus his, you know, minus that second year in Boston and then this year. Um, you know, getting back to this year, you know, I mean, you could, you could ask him anything and he'll give you an honest answer. And, um, you know, he, he doesn't care what you ask him. Um, you know, I asked him about the Josh Hader thing after, you know, Josh, that Josh Hader thing came out of the all-star game with, you know, the, the tweets that he had, the racist and the homophobic tweets and different things. And, you know, I asked him his opinion on that. Um, I asked him about his opt-out clause because I knew that, um, you know, and that was in either late August or early September, but I, I knew at that point that with, you know, David, he would give an honest answer to that question, um, you know, and, and I knew he wouldn't get upset with that question at that point of the year because, you know, he, he, he told me, you know, in his first year with Boston, it was funny. I said to him, I go, uh, I haven't really talked to you too much this year. I kind of wanted to, you know, um, lay back a little bit and let you be in your first year here in Boston. But, you know, maybe I laid back too much. I'm probably going to talk to you more next year, which never happened, obviously, because he didn't talk to any of us. But um, I said, you know, and he told me, he goes, well, you know, anytime I'm an open book. And, you know, I was talking you know, on this season, I said, you know, you told me you were an open book the first year, and you're right, you know, and that's why I didn't, you know, that's why I didn't hesitate to ask you about your opt-out clause and, you know, certain things. So he, he's one person that if you were to have a question, you know, about um, a controversial topic in baseball, him and Rick Russell, I think, would be the, the, two, the two go-to guys on, on the team trying to think who else i think i think those two probably the most uh have have most uh interesting opinions on things who's the uh, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure you have to like play this a certain way but who's probably the one that plays like most close to the best what's that who's the one that probably plays like most close to the best like closed off as much i guess is the best way to put that yeah so who would um, make bill belichick proud yeah, exactly. Who would make Bill Belichick proud? So it's funny. I was actually saying this to my wife. To, was it to my wife? No, it was actually I was out having lunch with a friend today, and I'm saying this. Um, for for a superstar player, Mookie Betts is you know he doesn't say much, and um, you know he could say more, you know, and get away with it. You know, he could have a lot of opinions, and you know, and. and you know, baseball is a sport where it's 162 games, and if you want to say things, you, you have opinions, and, you know, you you want to have a big personality, you can. 
I'm not saying that he doesn't say anything interesting, but uh, he's very, um, you know, he gives basic answers when he's, especially when he's in a group. Uh, he might be a little bit different. He might give you a little bit more honesty, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying honest because he's always honest. I guess you would say in a group, it's just not. Um, uh, I would say more candid. Uh, maybe he's a little bit more candid, you know, one on one before a game, um, but. I think he's probably more reserved than many. Um, and, you know, I think Jackie Bradley's the same. If you can get him before a game, he's a little more candid about things. Uh, if you get him in a group after the game, uh, he's not going to say much. He's going to kind of, you know, keep his, you know, keep, be very careful with everything he says. Yeah, I, I think that was really interesting. It, it sounds like when you're doing this reporting job, you kind of have to, be a, kind of a sociologist slash psychologist to try to find like the opportune time when these guys are more willing to talk, as you alluded to with with Betts and Bradley about if they're in a group or not. And I think I think that's really cool. Um, to now kind of take this conversation more into the, what's going on with the Red Sox, uh, I wanted to know. This is probably what's on most Red Sox fans' mind. Actually, probably ninety nine percent of Red Sox fans' mind. That's about Nathan Avoldi. He's there obvious big ticket free agent. Um, so I want to know what you've heard on that front. I know the report came out that the Astros and Red Sox are essentially the two finalists or the two most likely to sign him. And I want to know if you think he's going to be back in a Red Sox uniform and what do you envision his contract will look like? Yeah, you know, I think it would be, um, you know, I think with the way he pitched and it's actually interesting. I think that, um, you know, when you, Look at, you know, is he 29 years old or 28, 29 years old? And I think that the two Tommy John surgeries actually go in his favor are the fact that he just had Tommy John surgery and he had a successful season after Tommy John surgery. You know, you look at guys going in their 30s and one of the things that you're nervous about is, is the Tommy John, you know, or, or that the arm's going to break down in the 30s because they've thrown so many pitches. But in a way, you know, he's already has the Tommy John surgery out of the way or the second Tommy John surgery out of the way. Yeah, I think one in high school. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, the way that he pitched in, um, you know, in, in the, the postseason and, you know, I mean, he was – exceptional in the postseason, but he was very good during the regular season. When he came over to the Red Sox, he had a sub-40 array. Um, you know, he pitched very well. He can either close or, you know, he can either start or close. Obviously, teams are going to look at him more as a starter than a closer, but he can do either. Um, I would envision a five-year deal. I don't, you know, I really haven't thought about how much per, per year, but I don't, nothing can, um, I don't think any like any contract. I don't think is with Nathan Avaldi is really going to um, kill the Red Sox, uh, you know, in terms of money. So I think that that's an important, you know, to, it's important to sign him. And it, actually, if you ask him around at MLB.com after he threw his second game with the Red Sox, I, I said to him, I go, they should resign this guy. <laughs> so I've been on the Nathan Avaldi train for a while, and. And I go, and actually, I preface that with, I know this is the most, uh, you know, uh, outrageous thing to say at this point, but uh, or the most uh, getting ahead of everything. Uh, 
you know, but I, I really liked what, you know, his stuff and the fact that he had already had Tommy John surgery out of the way, you know, and that he was getting better and that he was throwing, you know, he's the typical pitcher of nowadays throwing, you know, 100 miles per hour and, you know, that kind of force. So I think the Red Sox can get it done. And I think the Red Sox need him. Um, I wrote the other day that they have a very good, you know, group of minor leaguers who could make this bullpen very good in the you know coming years. That it actually could be their strength. Uh, from Travis Lankins and you know the Hernandez kid, if they you know decide to make him a reliever, and you know different guys in you know and um, Durbin Feldman, you know certain guys in the minor leagues that they really can make this a, a strength. They can make this like a Milwaukee Brewers type bullpen, in my opinion. But so starting pitching isn't, you know, the most important thing anymore, um, and especially with, you know, the way the bullpens are going. But um, I think this is an important signing to get him locked up, especially not knowing if you, you can, you know, re-sign sale in a year or if you even want to re-sign sale in a year, uh, considering, you know, his health issues and, you know, if he's durable going into August and September. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I think you hit on all that. Uh, definitely nowadays, as you mentioned, bullpens are getting bigger roles, more innings, you're getting those multi-inning relievers, which actually Nathan Holy did in the postseason. He, he did awesome so, in that role. So even if he fails, like, I mean, and I don't think he's going to, but if you've got that contract and, and it doesn't look good after yeah. a year, if he starts and he doesn't look good, I mean, you could always turn him into a closer or a super reliever type, which is unbelievable how many games I, I wrote it down the other day. I think it was like 30, uh, I think it was like 30 relief appearances Josh Hader had over, um, you know, multiple over, over, um, three outs in a game. Crazy. You know, so they're doing that more, you know, and, and there's not many, you know, so there's, there's more relievers that are, you know, becoming that super reliever. It's not just the postseason thing. You know, you, there's guys that can go multiple innings, and that's a guy that you could do that with. So if you would be like, you know, after the year, you'd be like, oh, the starting thing isn't working out. You want to go in a different direction. You know, in, in you know, bringing in another starting pitcher and have him as a, as a guy that goes multiple innings out of the bullpen or as the closer, um, you could always do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that convergence is especially interesting, especially you, you look into a division with, with the Tampa Bay Rays and what they did last year with the four-man rotation, multi-inning relievers. Uh, we'll, we'll see maybe eventually in the future if, if other teams follow and maybe the Red Sox get to that point. But, yeah, Nathan Avoli is got that versatility where he's proven that he can do it out of the bullpen, do it out of the rotation, and, yeah, he's obviously a good weapon. All right. Well, Chris, I'm actually happy to hear you kind of segue, or you mentioned the um, all the arms coming up through the farm system. I'm really gotten big into the farm system this offseason because uh, there's nothing else to do. You can only write about uh, Craig Kimbrell and uh, Joe Kelly and Nathan Evaldi so many times. So I want to talk to you about the uh, top three pitching arms right now. Obviously, Jay Groom's the best one if he reaches his ceiling, but he's a big question mark. But of the big three right now, I'd say they're Darwinson Hernandez, Tanner Huck, and Brian Mata. So of those three, which one do you think is the best chance to make it as a starter? Because they've all got great stuff, but they all have those 
they might not ma- they might not be major league starters. Which one do you think has the best chance? I think um, Hernandez, and it's interesting because you know he's kind of a um, uh, you know his stuff is just so good, and it's actually interesting to hear Yemen's had a tweet out there, and he was like, you know. He was talking to some guy, in the, uh, he didn't name him, but some Red Sox minor league coordinator or Red Sox minor league guy who was saying that, you know, he could be a, a, a number one or number two starter in the big leagues. And I get those other guys to me project, you know, uh, you know, Hook, I, I, I like, uh, or Tanner Houck, I like. Um, in in Mata, I like too, but um, I, I look at Hernandez as having the mo- the highest ceiling in terms of um, you know he just his pure stuff that he could be a top of the rotation guy. Maybe those other guys are more middle of the rotation guys. With uh, with Hauk, um, you know it's interesting. They they last year they really wanted to make him a four seam guy. You know he was a two seamer. Through two seamers at call in college, he had two, two seamer, nasty slider, that type of thing, and um, you know at Mizzou, and they decided, well, we'll make him a four seamer with a curveball, and I don't really understand why they did that, but they did that, and you know the, the curveball works well with the four seamer, so I can understand why they did that, but I don't really understand why they didn't, you know, decided to you know take his best pitch, the two seamer away. Um, he really was not good in the first, you know, 10 or 13 starts that that, that happened. And then they made him a two-seamer again, and his, his stats are pretty dominant for the final 10 starts or 13 starts of the year when he was a two-seamer again. So that's, that's really promising. But you look at somebody like that, and you look at Mata, and, you know, those are potential guys in the bullpen if they don't want to make, you know, if they don't, you know, pan out as starters. Um, Mata just walked too many guys this year, uh, you know, and, and um, but he's still so young, too. You know, he I think he's only 19 and he was at high A Salem, you know, but the walk rate was just you know, really up there high this year, which is which is concerning because, you know, you look at somebody like Henry Owens and his walk rate was crazy in the minors. So that's a little concerning, but he was working on a, some new pitches this year and or, you know, trying to, you know, focus on certain pitches that weren't, you know, they, trying to develop pitches better this year. That So he was working on his pitches that weren't as good this year. And, you know, so um, we'll see. See, but I think yeah, the highest ceiling is probably Hernandez, just because his stuff is is so nasty, and um, and we'll see. Uh, you know, uh, Peter Gammons is tweeting out that you know we could see him in Boston in 2019, and um, you know, I mean, Peter Gammons knows this stuff pretty well, so uh, I haven't really seen him pitch. I've seen the other guys, all the other guys pitch. I haven't seen him pitch. So I, I but from what I've heard about his repertoire. His, his stuff and you know seeing some tweets about him yeah he has the highest ceiling yeah I'd agree with that assessment uh, I'm a little bit higher on Huck than most people are um I haven't seen him pitch I haven't seen any pitch all three of them are expected to be in Pawtucket either to start the year or, or Portland excuse me Portland to start the year or at least get there very soon thereafter so I plan on watching a lot of them this year but 
Yeah, I'm really high on Huck just because once he got back to that two-seamer, I want to say it was the last six or seven starts, his, like, ERA dropped into the mid-twos and all the peripherals were there, too. So I'm a bit higher on him than most, but I agree Hernandez is probably the highest ceiling. Um, but anyway, switching from uh, the well, starters to the Well, actually, one more thing on him, though, uh, on Tanner, is, is that he's very confident, too, and that goes a long way. Like, he actually told the Red Sox straight, if they picked him before the draft in 2000, what was he picked in 17? He told them if you pick me, yeah. he said that if you pick me, I'll be the best pick in the draft. So, um, you know, he, he he's a confident guy and he believes in himself. And if he's got the right pitches going, you know, you know, I mean, that confidence goes a long way. So, huh. I didn't know that one, and I I like that because you really do need to have that little extra edge to be a starting pitcher those guys like the true aces they are absolutely insane i feel like you kind of need that to like go out there and face the best of the best so i like that yeah. <laughs> that had standard hot points for me so um <laughs> so um anyway moving past the starters to the relievers i think you'd agree that of the guys that are like definitely going to be relievers no chances of starter um, the two big names coming through the farm system are Travis Likens and Durbin Feltman. Um, I yep. think, you know, it's pretty consensus Feltman has the higher ceiling, but which guy do you think is going to have a bigger impact in 2019? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I was on the Likens train that they should have brought him up in, in 2018. You know, I was asking, I was asking, um, you know, Dimbrowski in, in, August, if they were going to bring him up, I was also asking Buttry very early in the year. Obviously, he got traded in the Kinsler-Dale, and so those were two guys that I was asking throughout the year to Dombrowski if they would bring up. Um, I can understand why they didn't bring him up in September uh, because he had had some arm issues. But the thing that I like that they did with um, Lakins was that you know I I put it down. I tweeted it out a couple. Like last week, and I also wrote it in an article. I think like ten of his last thirteen relief outings were of multiple innings, and um, so I like that, and I, I like the fact that they could make him into a multi-inning relief guy. I think that either one of them could, um, but I think that we'll probably see Lakins more um, this year. But you know, Feldman, I, I just I wouldn't rush Feldman as as quick as you know I you know he was the hundredth pick. For a reason, I mean, if he's if he's you know he still has to develop a little bit, and I I have seen him pitch. I, I was down at Lowell, and his stuff is nasty. He was just dominating. I took a video of him. If you go to YouTube and you know click uh, or put in Durbin Feltman Lowell Mass Live, you can you know see it. I mean, his fastball is slider. I mean, just wipeout slider, nasty stuff. So. You know, I mean, he does have some terrific stuff, but, you know, I mean, I, he probably needs to develop a little bit more. And, um, you know, I don't think they should rush him. I didn't think they should rush him last year. And, you know, when guys get rushed, things happen. You know, we saw Andrew Miller, who was a top pick of Dombrowski's, and he got rushed, and that didn't help him in his career. There's There was a guy named, uh, was it Craig Hansen? Uh, for the Red Sox, they got rushed, and he uh, and uh, he didn't, you know, benefit from that. So, um, you know, I mean, there's there's guys that you know that 
so I think that Travis Likens is, and they were, they've always been high, and I've always, you know, they've always been high on Travis Likens, and they've liked his stuff, and they liked his stuff as a, as a starter, and they they thought he could thrive as a starter, and it just didn't happen as a starter because he wasn't, he he's not that, he's not big enough and durable enough, but as a reliever, I think he will thrive. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. I think. um you know, Feltman, like, he's phenomenal, but he's only been in single A. A lot of the guys, like, that I always worry about, long-term he's going to be fine, but in the short-term, he's never faced, like, anyone who's physically capable of reaching it, of touching his stuff, but in the majors, guys are physically capable of doing that, so there is the adjustment yeah. of, like, my stuff alone isn't good enough to get every single guy out. I need to kind of learn how to think a bit more, sort of, sort of sort of thing so i'd love to see him have like at least a month month and a half in double a because they say the jump from uh single a to double a is about the hardest one you can do aside from obviously going from the minors to the majors so i'd love to see what he does there um do you think Lakins uh starts the year on the opening day roster yeah it's possible it just because you know i mean he did pitch at triple a last year and you you saw a guy like you know bobby pointer who never even pitched triple a last year um, make the roster you saw marcus walden make the opening day roster last year you know so anything can happen in camp um you know if if um if somebody impresses and they have a really good camp you know they can make the opening day roster He's on the 40 man now, so I mean, anything, any, he could do it. Anything's a go. And, um, you know, if he comes in and he presses in camp, he, you know, he, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, um, doubt it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping he makes it. I'm a big fan of his as well. Uh, I got one more minor league question for you before I turn it over to, uh, somebody else. And shifting away from the pitchers into the position players. Um, the Red Sox have a bit of a log jam at the third base position. Uh, obviously, they have Devers at third now. They seem set on, at least this year, trying to make it work at third. I, for one, think he has the skills to do it. Chavis is pretty close to being major league ready. There's talk about him maybe playing second base, working on that. He played first near the end of last year. Of course, you have Dal- Dalvec in AAA, or in AA. He's, um, State at third, but there's talk of him maybe going to first also. And way, way down, you have Danny Diaz. Um, so there's a ton of young talent at third base, but it's physically impossible for each one of those guys to make it up and basically stay with the Red Sox camp. Uh, which one do you think is the most likely trade ship? Because it's hard for me, It's at least for me, it's hard to see them keeping all four throughout 2019. I think the most um attractive trade chip right now would be um you know the mo- somebody that they get the most for and and they have some good um third basemen I mean just beyond those guys that you name like there's a couple in the draft that they they just drafted like this Northcott kid and there's another kid that I'm I'm blanking on his his name but they yeah, have a couple he was third basemen the one taken like yeah, like the one taken in the twenty third round. Who's I'm blanking on the name too, but I know the guy. He's yeah. like he's like the six hundred yes. pick, and he's already tearing up like rookie ball. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's a couple of third basemen too, but yeah, I think that's the most attractive name. Um, you know, going you know, oh, in in um, is it is interesting? Um, isn't he a third baseman too, or am I wrong? Oh yeah, I don't know how I missed him. Yeah, Cassis is obviously yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, so yeah, so they, they've got a, a ton of third basemen and, um, you know, there's a lot of potential at the, the position. I do, I am one that thinks Devers, um, you know, you look at Ben Tenney's second year and you look at a lot of these guys' second years and, you know, even Jose Ramirez, um, just not a good player. Um, his second year, even his third year, he wasn't that good. Um, there's an adjustment period in the major leagues. Um, but you look at Ben Attendi, and he was really good when he came up um, as a rookie halfway through the season like Devers was. I mean, Devers was really good halfway through that season. Um, you know, and then Ben Attendi had, you know, every other month he was good his, his first full season. He was very, very a very um, streaky player. And he had overall last year had a much better year. His OPS was in the 800s. He was just a, a much better year, a much better player in his second full season. I think you'll see that with Devers. I think he showed those signs during the playoffs. I mean, he was a, a force in the playoffs. He had huge hits. He showed his potential. I think that he is, um, I, I've always felt like he is, you know, a legit 30 home run power guy. And, um, yeah, he's the third baseman of the future. Um, obviously he needs to get a little bit better defensively, but that will come. And I think I saw improvements defensively with him. The biggest trade chip of getting back to your actual question, the biggest trade chip I think at this point, uh, or the person they could get the most for is, is Michael Chavis. Um, I think that with Dahl, uh, Bobby Dahlback, um, he strikes out too much. And so he's got to prove it more a double A and triple A before people, I would think that teams would, you know, really want to, um, you know, it, until his value rises more. Um, I, I just, his strikeout rate is crazy, but his power is off the charts though too. So, I mean, we'll see. But, um, yeah, Shavis, I think even with the suspension that he had, the 80 game PED suspension, he came back from that and was just, you know, he showed basically what he did the previous year, and I also have heard reports that his defense was much better um, after the PED suspension when he came back last year. He was a much better defensive third baseman. Now, the thing with him going to second base, which is interesting, is that, you know, I mean, he started off as a shortstop out of high school. You know, in high school, he was a shortstop, and he actually played some shortstop at the beginning of his minor league career. And if you can't play shortstop, and, you know, you're probably not going to be able to play second base. I mean, obviously, shortstop's a more difficult position than second base, but it's still middle of the infield. Um, but you can improve as a defensive player. So I was actually one of the one that asked Dombrowski about the second base thing, and he actually said that he's taking grounders at second base. And, you know, it is an option with Pedroia's health, and we just don't know about Pedroia's health if he's going to be able to play a lot of games next year. And that's one spot you could get him in. Another spot you could get him in is is in the outfield. Um, you know, so there there are other positions for, for Chavis, and first base is also an option, you know. And so um, he's going to have to earn earn time though because they obviously brought back Pierce and so there's right hand there's obviously that right handed bat to platoon with Mitch Moreland at first. So and you know, as I said, Devers is gonna be the everyday third baseman. So there's not gonna be so he's gonna have to earn a spot and um but yeah, I would think he's the most tradable at this point. That is music to my ears what you said about Devers. Um I'm 
probably his biggest fan in the entire world. I watched him uh, back back when he was in Portland. I used to go to the games on a very regular basis. And, you know, when he made contact, it's a cliche, but it just sounded different. He just tore the cover off of it. And when he came up right in 2017 and, like, started being maybe the best bat on a, on the 2017 Red Sox, that was just so great to watch. I think his future is as bright as anyone. Um, I'm interested to see what they do with Chavis, too. I think I think the fact that him and Moreland are – or that Pierce and Moreland are both up contract-wise at the end of the year, I think they might be grooming him towards first and second, sort of yeah. making him like uh like souped-up super utility guy that could start at either. Um, I could see that happening. Um, Dahlbeck is just so interesting to me because, like, to me, if everything breaks right, he's Aaron Judge, but I highly doubt everything is going to break right to that extent. Because, you know, he has such amazing power, like you said, but his strikeout rate's, like, usually in the mid-30s, which just cannot happen. If he ever learns to make consistent contact, sky's the limit with that kid. But by now he probably is yeah. what he is. If I if, – if I'm – I think uh, Chase is – and this is me, but I think he's in the direct plans for the Red Sox future, especially with – um like, we're going to need those prospects soon because everyone's about to get a lot more expensive. I wouldn't be surprised to see us trade Dalbuck if he goes on, like, a really hot streak for, like, a month or so and just sell high on him right there. That's what I'd that's what I'd be looking for, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they're as you said, they're deep at third base. So, uh, you know, they have options. and um, yeah. You know, and so they, they, they can't afford them. to trade someone like that. I mean, it was like, it's like a situation with – um, Manuel Margot, you know, I mean, they they were deep at that position, and so they could afford to trade him at the time. Uh, they were deep in outfield depth, so uh, yeah, I mean, they can afford to trade a third baseman. That was awesome prospect coverage. Uh, thanks for for that. But I'm gonna try to transition back to the MLB team. So I think you would agree, Chris, that the Boston 2018 Boston Red Sox were a pretty good baseball team. Uh, they, were, they were pretty good. Let's not get too crazy with the takes, okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that was a hot take. 108 wins, World Series champ. And they, they were they were multifaceted. They didn't just beat you on like one skill set. They were all around a great baseball team. But there was one position they were a little worse at. And when I say little, I, I mean lot. Um, Red Sox uh, catchers, they had the worst war, F4, Fangraphs war, in the league by a considerable margin. They also had the worst WRC+, plus OPS, any number. It doesn't look great. But they do have these intangibles that seem to kind of make up almost for this lack of conspicuous production. And I want to know, and I haven't heard anything on this front, but I don't know if you have. How do you, first of all, imagine the catching situation will shake out come spring training? And do you think the Red Sox should feel obligated to pursue a catcher? So I think that they're going to go to their two-catcher. Um, you know, I mean, they're just going to have two catchers on the roster in 2019. So either, you know, Leon or um, Schweihart will go this offseason, and I think it will be Leon who goes. Um, I, I mean, I just, you know, everybody talks about catcher. She's catcher ERA and how the pitchers, you know, rave about how, well, he, you know, catches them and everything like that. But, um, yeah, and, and there is something to how well, you know, comfort level with the pitcher. But, you know, when you're 
catcher ERA is really a you know a, just an irrelevant stat to me. Like you know you Definitely. can it, you you can catch you know if you, if you he mainly caught Chris Sale you know David Price and Rick Porcello and and you know Blake Swihart okay. caught you know Brian Johnson and you know Hector Velasquez when he caught. So obviously, uh, San Diego is going to have a better catcher. Yeah, right. And you know, if um, you know, if 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 Blake Swihart goes out and you know catches um, you know David Price on the day that David Price pitches against a team that David Price isn't good against, like the Yankees. Um, or, you know, or if, if a team is, you know, or if he catches Chris Sale, when Chris Sale goes out and pitches against Indians, who Chris Sale isn't good against, that has no effect. Uh, you know, he has no effect on that, uh, you know, against a different lineup. You know, I mean, they just, there's so much that goes into it. And so yeah. I think that, I think that, um, I, I need, you need some offense from the catcher position, and I, I think that the Christian Vasquez can become a better offensive player. I mean, we saw it in 2017. I think that some pressure got, got on him because of the contract last year, but I also think that you know he gained weight. He didn't, you know, he was out of shape a little bit last year. He gained weight during the season, and. Um, you know, I feel like he needs to get in better shape during this off season and, you know, come in and, you know, be more serious in a way in terms of his, his shape and and uh, physical, you know, self. So, um, you know, but I, I, so I think he can provide, you know, offense. Um, but I think that, you know, Blake Swihart is, has the most, you know, the highest offensive ceiling and I do think that he can catch. I know that Jason Veritek is a big supporter of Swihart. You know, he's always had Dombrowski's ear, and that's one of the reasons that the Red Sox haven't traded Swihart yet is because Jason Veritek has had Dombrowski's ear, you know, going back a couple off seasons saying, this kid is, can be an all-star catcher, you know, don't trade him, or, you know, and, and that's true. And, and um, Veritek has worked closely with, with Swihart, and you could see the improvements that he made on, you know, balls in the dirt and things like that. And, you know, his his caught ceiling rate wasn't that good at the end of the year, but we saw a very good arm with Blake Swihart, you know, especially when he began to catch more. So if I was them, I would go I would go Swihart and um, in in Vasquez, and I would cut ties with you know try to trade him. Um, you know, I just, I offensively, he's just giving them nothing. And, you know, and I, I think you need somebody that can give you some offense as a casual. Yeah. I mean, because the yeah. war, I mean, he was in a negative war. <laughs> I, they all were. They have. Chris would basically do what I would do. Swihart and Vasquez. That's where I would go. But, I mean, you, yeah, know, you, you look at Swihart once he started. I mean, he was in a negative war, and a lot of people look at, like, his, his offensive stats. And like, oh, he, you know, he can't hit either. But, you know, a lot of it was like, well, you know, Cora only played him, like, once every 10 games for the first 40 games of the year. And he he put him out against, like, the, 
you know, you know, he put him out against the other team's ace to give, you know, the better players rest. So, like, you know, if you're not going to play every 10 games and then you're going to go in there, you know, and face, uh, you know, I think he he was in against that guy from Oakland who threw the no-hitter against him. I mean, it was like... I forget what that guy's name. Who, who threw the no hitter against him? Sean Manaya. Yeah, yeah. I was at the game and I can't yeah. even remember. But yeah. So it's like, you know, I think it was actually the second game that, that I don't think it was the no hitter, but I think it was the game that Fenway they threw against him. But anyway, you know what I mean? I mean, those stats were kind of like, you know, like the offensive stats. When he actually played more every day from like June on, um, the offensive stats were pretty, you know, a lot better. They were pretty much, you yeah, know, they were yeah. pretty good. And and he showed, yeah. like, during, during you know, his rookie year in 2015 when he was playing every day, I think he had the third best or the second best batting average uh, for catchers, you know, in MLB catchers behind only Buster Olmey. Uh, Buster Olmey. <laughs> Buster Posey. Buster <laughs> only wishes that he could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think even with Blake Swihart, he was got really hot. I think it was like between June, and July, and he started getting consistent playing time. Um, is when Vasquez got injured, and then he also dealt with injury issues of his own between I think August and September. Correct me if I'm wrong, and that kind yeah. of like curtailed some of the momentum that he had going. But yeah, I yeah, they I, allowed I, I, Jeff Butler to get a World Series. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> but everything works out. Yeah, it all worked out. It's not that big of a deal, but yeah, Red Sox catchers compared to the rest of the team, it was, it was kind of a it was kind of a big dichotomy. So, uh, other Chris, all of my burning Red Sox questions have been answered. Something I'm going to ask every single guest that comes on this podcast is, if you could change any one thing, specific or, or broader picture, whatever about baseball, what would you change? Uh, that's a good question. So I actually was talking to my friend earlier today. I was at the lunch with somebody. And I was talking about this stuff, and I was like, I think that uh, um, I, I don't like the well. Obviously, the the you know games are going too long, and that's driving you know um, that's you know making the younger people not like they or not watching the games, stuff like that. And you can't have four hour games. Um, but I think that one the thing that I don't like is that one of the reasons for that is because, you know, sign stealing, um, well, one of the reasons is because they're, you know, using 10 pitches a game, but pitchers a game. But um, one of the reasons is they're, you know, sign stealing, you know, technology, using, you know, technology and sign stealing, which we saw with the Houston Astros and we even saw with the Red Sox last year with the, um, you know, the the eye watches or whatever the heck they're called, they add whatever. So um Yeah, Apple Watch. <laughs> so I don't know. Whatever whatever these kids are using these yeah, days, right? Exactly. John so, John Farrell's um, high tech uh secret agent weapons. Yeah, so I think that uh, you know, the, instead of like, you know, delaying games or changing signs and being so focused on that, even, you know, Stealing signs in a way, um, I, w- I would probably put the uh, I would probably have a headset between the um, the catcher and the pitcher, and um, I know that that might sound stupid, but you know the the, the quarterback on an NFL team has a headset, and um, I think it would be good for them to you know have a headset and 
signs wouldn't be, uh, you know, you wouldn't steal signs. And I think that a pitch clock would be good, but um, the problem with the pitch clock is is that, you know, if, if it's like 30 seconds, you know, I think like the most somebody pitches, you know, most time, like I think this year was like 20-something, you know, between pitches, so that's really not going to help. So it would have to be like a 20-second pitch clock instead of a 30-second pitch, pitch clock, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a 30-second pitch clock. So I, I would do a faster pitch clock than 30 seconds, and I would do the headset thing between the, the pitcher and the catcher just to eliminate technology from steel side. Yeah, I like the headset idea. That's that's definitely it makes yeah, sense. Like, like yeah, you I've have, never heard that you one, have, but it's we, really like I like that idea. I can we we have the technology. That it, it exists. <laughs> Why can't we do this? Uh, yeah, no, but that's yeah. that's all I got. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, 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 they confirm this for me. The, the quarterback does have one in the NFL, right? I'm not wrong about that. Yes, he does. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he is a <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, the only thing, and I was, I was saying this to my friend, I was like, you know, I do, you know, maybe uh, you'd have to talk quietly, obviously, so the batter doesn't hear you. Because then the batter could relay the science to the, the person in second base or whatever, or the batter would know. So that would know then what you're doing, but you're throwing. But I think that you could do it in a way that the batter wouldn't hear. I don't know. So, or you could have your own language so that the batter wouldn't hear. Yeah, either, you have your you own know. code words. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that would work. Yeah, along a similar breadth, you mentioned in the beginning of your answer that uh, sometimes extra inning games. Like, I'm just thinking from your perspective, and I always think about this when I'm watching, when it goes, like, 15, 16, et cetera, innings. Like, what is the general mood as a beat reporter when it's, like, 2 a.m., 1 a.m., and you're still in the press box? And Have you, like, ever fallen asleep or left early from the game just because it was so late? No, I've never, I've never fallen asleep. I've never left early just because, um, you know, I have to – you know, I have to get a, a story up right immediately when the game ends. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be there. But, um, I mean, you know, I mean, it's – I go to bed so late anyway during the season, you know, like because with the internet, like, uh, you know, working at MassLife.com, uh, you know, I, I, it's different from a newspaper where they, you know, get – they're stuffing on, you know, they have a deadline and they're done for the night. Yeah. You know, I'm usually up working anyway and trying to get more stories written and more stuff on, on the blog and stuff like that. So I'm up anyway usually till 4 in okay. the morning. And so it's not oh, like a huge deal with me because I'm usually a night owl. But there is, it's not like, it's not ideal. Let's just put it that way. You're pretty tired. And yeah. Um, so yeah, it's not. You, you hope the games don't go that long. <laughs> <laughs> Rooting for it to end anywhere possible. I hope your sleep schedule is uh, getting better in the off season. Hopefully, you've been able to to rest a little bit, especially after that 18 inning uh, World Series game. Um, yeah, it, that was a good. Yeah, so yeah, just basically, um, you know, going on the schedule of my wife. She's a teacher, so it's basically the teacher schedule now. Go to bed early and wake up early. So. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah. That works <laughs> out then. Yeah. It's been adjusted. Um. But yeah, Chris, 
thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, you gave us some great answers. And, yeah, uh, Christopher Smith, Mass Live, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me. And that was Christopher Smith for Mass Live. Still want to thank him again for coming on the show. Uh, it was, I think we got some really good content out of that guy's, uh, he, he was so, he, he, he gave so much detail on his answer and, and that was wonderful because you really do get a lot of original, uh, insight into the interworkings of this team from not only the surface major league stuff, but even below it, Dave, you've got some good questions and they've got some good banter with him about that. So that was great. But yeah, you can, uh, follow this podcast on, or you can listen to this podcast on, a variety of outlets. We have a variety. We're on SoundCloud, obviously. We're on iTunes. If uh, our affiliates at the Grueling Truth Network are so kind, they will post this on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Stitcher, among other podcast platforms. We'll be back next week. Uh, we don't have we may be getting another interview. Who knows? Um, regardless, we'll be back next week talking to Boston Red Sox. Thank you guys for listening to this special episode of the Red Sox and Golden Podcast. See you guys next week. I need to just do like a blooper I'm gonna, real like I'm gonna, I'm gonna create just a blooper <laughs> now being recorded there she is she's what? like music to my ears yeah anyway uh, this is my social security number and I'll let you guys know my credit card once I find my wallet socks kid socks socks kid kid Who's yeah socks, kid? What, what are you really socks doing? Socks? Are you talking? What are you? Socks. Hi everyone. Are you you having a seizure? (laughs) No, I'm good. Okay. Should we start over or should we? (laughs) Keep going.